Hello, my name is Justin McClure, and I'm here today with Will Sloan, and you're listening to The Important Cinema Club, and today we're talking about Carolee Schneeman, who passed away in on March 6th at the age of 79. So what big Hollywood blockbuster did she direct, Will? <laughs> she directed Fuses, mm. which I believe was the fourth highest grossing film of 1967. Also, Meet Joy, which uh, won the Academy Award for Best Picture in 1964. I think out of every filmmaker that we've ever done, this is the one artist that is the most tangentially related to cinema because she, uh, she's mostly known as like a performance artist and as an experimental artist. Yeah, and a painter as mm-hmm. well. And, you know, that's one of the reasons that I was kind of interested in tackling this subject because she has one film that's uh, one experimental film in particular that is kind of one of the canonical experimental films. And a lot of her other films are sort of records of her performance pieces. So I'm interested in that. Like, this podcast tackles a lot of different kind of film-related mm-hmm. things. Um, Poverty Row, Kung Fu films, yeah. more Poverty Row films. And I, I want to push us to the extreme. Mm. I want us to see the difference. Uh, Buckle up! An example of the sort of thing that film can tackle. I don't think that there's any other artists that we are less qualified to talk about as men. Because she was considered a first wave feminist artist. Mm-hmm. She was on the front lines. Most of her art was about taking the power and gaze away from men and letting women have a form of expression. And, you know, as much as oils and paints and canvases, uh, her medium was her body. Mm-hmm. Uh, so and- what is her most famous uh, performance <laughs> art that she did? Uh, it's a piece from, I believe, 1975 called Interior Scroll, in which she is completely naked and she stands on a table and she pulls a long scroll out of her vagina and reads it. And this piece was created in response to a critic, the film critic Annette Mickelson, in fact, who once accused her of diaristic indulgence. <laughs> and she thought, oh, you want diaristic indulgence? Hey, I'll give you some diaristic indulgence. As an artist, in all the interviews that I read, she she often said that people would call her work pornographic, narcissistic, mm-hmm. that it was the wrong side of feminism, using her body in a way that is sexual and trying to exploit herself in a way that they, a lot of critics, uh, especially men, found very... Um, displeasing. Yeah, well, I I guess it's like what people would ask, like, what is the image that you should be projecting, Mm -hmm. like, by making your own sexuality, by kind of flaunting your own sexuality, that's not quite the right word, but by... by, Just putting it out there. By putting it out there so much, are you really just succumbing to the sort of thing that you would critique? No. I don't think so either, because, you know, you listen to the description of that interior scroll thing, and... You know, I think maybe your first instinct would be to think, wow, that sounds kind of gross. And then you think, well, why does it sound kind of gross? I mean, that's every piece of work that she did was always putting that stuff out there and questioning the audience. Why do you find this disgusting? Why do you find this displeasing? Yeah. Uh, The most famous short that she made, Fuses, she, in an interview, talked about how at one screening, a man stood up and said, well, that didn't give me a hard on. So what was the point of that? Yeah. And then a woman stood up and was like, well, you know, that's not why this was made. And the guy turned around and was like, well, shut up, bitch. Like, yep, that kind of guy would say that. And, you know, another reason I'm interested in talking about Carolee Schneeb is that 
you know, art doesn't exist in a vacuum, right? Uh, she's somebody who is influenced by all sorts of different kinds of artists, whether it's, you know, in the visual realm, somebody like Willem de Kooning with his abstract expressionism, Jackson Pollock, but also, you know, theorists like Antonin Artaud. Or filmmakers like Stan Brakhage. Exactly. Stan Brakhage, with whom she had a long friendship and a, I, I guess, I guess, friendly debating uh, rivalry. She appeared in some of his films. Yeah. And she said that, one of the issues that she had was that because it was under the gaze of a male filmmaker, even though she was putting herself out there, what she was putting out was being twisted in a way that she didn't necessarily agree with. Because she said that even like a Stan Brackett short like Window Water Baby Moving, while it is portraying a woman's birth, it is being seen through the eyes of a man. Yeah. And, you know, I read an interview with Schneeman in Harper's where she said that as a child, and I'm quoting, I would observe men pat their pregnant wives' stomachs as if the stomachs were theirs. I hated that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, window water baby moving, I remember, I think maybe I mentioned this in our experimental film episode, I remember pontificating one day to my girlfriend about how how beautiful I thought that movie was, (laughs) and her saying, oh yeah, I saw that in a class. I don't know. It's uh, I think it's responses to that movie are gendered, because for men, that's kind of like a secret knowledge. Yeah, it's like, wow, can't you believe what you're seeing? Isn't it so beautiful that my beautiful wife Life in, in our beautiful bathtub. I've already saw there. it in William Bodine's Mom and Dad. <laughs> <laughs> so Fuses from 1967 is kind of a response to Stan Brackage, and it very much uses a visual style similar to Stan Brackage. So, you know, the film is painted on, it's burned at times, it's uh, uh, dragged across the floor. Yeah, uh, laid over itself, which creates all these, like, images that are all layered one on top of each other and you're not sure what you're seeing mm-hmm. and yes that is a dick that you're seeing on screen yeah and i mean i've seen it a couple of times like projected on film because it's one of those movies that experimental film societies uh, uh go to out. go to the well yeah yeah we, we need you ain't a, seen nothing yet we need a female filmmaker so <laughs> oh boy <laughs> no but actually yeah right? yep the film depicts, I guess, one or perhaps several lovemaking sessions between Schneeman and her then-boyfriend, James Tenney. And also, there's a third star of the film, which is Kitch the Cat. Oh, man. Carolee Schneeman loves her cats. And folks, don't you hate it when, you know, the pet's in the room? <laughs> <laughs> Just staring at you? Yeah. Is it aware of what's going on? So, so, what a buzzkill, right? <laughs> but, but no, not for Carolee Schneeman, because she loves the natural world, the animal world. It all blurs together. So this is a movie where you've got quick fragmentary shots of all kinds of rutting, mm-hmm. anything you could want to see, uh, but then it is often juxtaposed against beautiful shots of nature, against shots of this cat, ponds, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, wind flowing the curtains. Her face in ecstasy, mm-hmm. and also lots of penises. Lots of penises, yeah. Yeah, which, I, is there any of that in Stan Brackage? I feel like there probably I, I isn't. I recall, okay, because Stan Brackage had at least a couple of movies where you see him having sex with his wife. Yeah. But it's probably from the perspective of a man, right? And we've yeah. been, you know, engineered by society to be like, no dicks, please. I think I do remember seeing Stan Rackage's ball sack uh, <laughs> yeah. f- from an angle. But not in the one. way that it's portrayed in Fuses, yeah. which is right out there. And it showed limp, hard. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's, I, I couldn't notice it for myself, but any like actual penetration scenes. Yeah, possibly not. There's Not there's close-ups, I mean. The, you've been listening to the Mr. Skin podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, I rate this one, um, I don't know, what is a Mr. Skin rating? <laughs> I don't know, a 30 on the Peter meter? Or, <laughs> yeah, something like or that. whatever. Something she shares with Stan Brackage is this kind of, like, new-agey, mystical love of nature, and mm-hmm. re- wanting to return to nature, and 
break down boundaries between uh, the natural worlds and our like human worlds. And, you know, she's very interested in bodies writhing on the ground. And uh, so the real question is, is this art? And that's not a real question. I'm just kidding. What <laughs> My I'm trying kid to, could paint this. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is, does this have value in the most like obvious way? And of course it does. I think it's a beautiful film. Not only is it juxtaposing these images of people having sex and nature and a cat, but it's all from a woman's perspective. Mm. Like experimental cinema... I mean, there had been women that had worked in it, but like to have a woman just show it like right out like, oh, here we go. This is something that I enjoy Mm -hmm. and this is a perspective that I want to share with Mm -hmm. you is revolutionary in the time that it came out. And it's no surprise that it was completely dismissed by every critic that saw it. I like the movie's uh, depiction of sex because she wanted to, you know, move away from typical formulaic depictions of sex. The movie is very powerful because it feels like being invited into this privileged space. You are the cat. You are the cat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, the the sex, it's not like the sex tells a story no. the way it often does in pornography, right? Where there's a, there's a pretty rigid <laughs> yeah. uh, series Seduction, of things that happens. sex, and then climax. It's this um, amorphous, spontaneous thing that goes in and out. It's this idea of sex, of like when you think of sex, you don't usually think about it in like a very rigid and chronological fashion, you think about it as just a feeling Mm -hmm. of either pleasure or something that you want. And this is Mm -hmm. being portrayed in that way is this idea of just 18 minutes of pleasure just up on screen. And as an act, sex is not segregated from the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. No, yeah, it's all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. And that there's no kind of separation between things that are graphic and things are just every day. It's very beautiful to look at, too. You know, I love all that uh, Stan Brackage visual mm. stuff. And, you know, listen, I'm not a smart enough guy to compare her use of nature with Stan Brackage's use of nature. But I wonder what the difference is. Mm-hmm. I wonder if, you know, would she argue that, you know, in a movie like Dog Star Man, there's almost this, like, rugged masculine quality to it. Uh, and I wonder if there's a difference between that and her more... more um, Well, she's talked that um, Fuses, especially, is a very musical composition, Mm -hmm. and it's something that um, the viewer actually doesn't really become aware of unless you watch it two, three, or four times, Mm -hmm. and that there is a method to the madness that I don't think it has that kind of forward-pushing momentum of Brackett, which is like, look at all these images! Look at me running up a hill in slow motion or upside down! Mm -hmm. It's, as we said, it's kind of like a flowing idea of you know, pleasure in the world around her. So a little bit about Carolee Schneeman's background. She was born in 1939. Her father was a physician. So through him, she was sort of exposed to different kinds of bodies and, uh, you know, was fascinated by the body. From a very young age, uh, she was interested in sort of the intersections of sexuality and art and nature, probably even at like a pre-sexual Yeah, she's talked about it like, yeah, before her teen, she became very... um, accustomed to her own body and wasn't ashamed of it. Mm -hmm. She got a scholarship at Bard College where she started to develop her theories that men and women perceived sex and uh, sexuality and nudity differently. She discovered this, by the way, when she was a nude model. Probably male artists want to, like, have some sort of possession or ownership over you know, like, you know, there's something very masculine about, mm-hmm. uh, about, you know, wanting to be the artist. Yeah. Right? Like I'm defining you and yeah. this is my picture of you. And by th- that token, I own you. Yeah. And, you know, in a lot of, uh, Schneeman's performance pieces, I don't know, maybe I'm talking out of my ass, but there seems something sort of collaborative and something 
spontaneous going on, right? And we should point out that she never considered herself primarily a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. She considered herself a painter. Mm-hmm. And even in her performance pieces, which is what she was most famous for, she would utilize paints and grease mm-hmm. and the tools that you would use to put something on canvas to illustrate the connection between her and her body. So many of the films that she's credited with directing are basically filmed records of her artistic practice. There's one from 1976 called Up To and Including Her Limits, where it was sort of half performance piece, half painting, where her body was held up by a harness, uh, her presumably naked body. Held yes, up her naked body. And she had her in her outstretched hands some crayons and you know a big canvas surrounding her. And then as she would swing, her crayons in her hands would brush against mm-hmm. the canvas. And she thought of this as maybe not a rebuttal, but a conversation with Jackson Pollock. And... Uh, using her whole body, not just the hands, and her body interacting with space as as the the point, mm-hmm. you know. And she would also do a lot of confrontational pieces. Like she made a uh, short film called Viet Flakes mm-hmm. in the middle of the Vietnam War that just showed atrocity footage over like a 10-minute span. And it's set to this audio collage by James Tenney, actually, the leading man from Fuses, which mixes a lot of different music sources there's some Bach there's some Victorian chants and there's also a lot of like 1960s top 40 stuff mm-hmm. I think there's some snip snippets of uh, the Beatles in there and it's a an awkward watch not just the juxtaposition between the music and the images but the fact that the images are often out of focus and fragmentary like taped off like a screen mm-hmm. and you can barely see what's going on so this mm-hmm. awful footage almost comes off worse because it's just out of the corner of your eye and you can't really understand what it is. Mm -hmm. Viet Flakes was incorporated into another one of her performance pieces, which was also itself preserved in a film called Snows from 1967. This is a a rather elaborate dance performance in which the audience was able to control a lot of the lighting through this electrical switching system. So, uh, you know, Viet Flakes would be shown on a screen behind all of this, uh, all the strange light effects. And and, uh, basically, the performance piece was meant to protest the Vietnam War. (laughs) Are you a fan of performance art? Have you gone consciously to go see it? Um... I don't dislike it, but it's certainly not my uh, preferred. No, me neither. Like, (laughs) it's something that it's difficult when you're talking about this kind of experimental art, especially performance art, to separate yourself from the, uh, I guess, is the word I'm looking for sarcastic or ironic kind of look at it? And Carolee Schneeman said that, like, there was no irony in any of her work either. That it was, like, straight up, this is what she actually means. I mean, it's it's hard to believe in a way, Mm -hmm. because well, it's it's not ironic, but it's confrontational. Yes, it is very confrontational, but like, she doesn't mean for people to laugh at this. I mean, all her work is confrontational because it's like, I'm showing you something that you're afraid of, Mm -hmm. And I want you to just stare at it. I kind of think, like, how can you not laugh at Interior Scroll just instinctively? Like, you laugh when you're uncomfortable at something, right? Yeah, I mean, but there's no irony there, right? Why are you laughing at this thing? Like, why is it making you uncomfortable? And it's because we've all been, you know, raised to be scared of the human bodies and the acts that everybody does behind closed doors. And I mean, let's face it. I mean, we're among friends here. The human body is horrifying. (laughs) It is, yes. Disgusting. And everybody should be ashamed of it. <laughs> so that's what you got from watching something like Fuses? 
Yeah, it's like, I mean, you know... Uh, Whoa, she- c- c- censor Carolee Sheeman. Carolee Sheeman and I can disagree. Uh, <laughs> no, that's, uh, that's not the point that I got. But hey, her other most famous performance piece, which perhaps bears mentioning, is Meat Joy from 1964, which... I think it ran an hour when you saw it as a performance piece. But an hour. <laughs> I, I, I know. I know. And But it has been preserved in a seven-minute short film. And I think seven minutes is good. Yeah. Um, and so this short is a bunch of people, and they just take meat, um, like fish and poultry and a beef and they just rub it all over their body and then the men pick up the women and throw them over their shoulder like meat creating the connection between both of them and you know over the hour uh there's a lot of writhing on the floor mm-hmm. there's a lot of just uh, touching and fondling oh, i can just smell it under those hot lights all that meat that's been left out more and more meat and and fish and liquids and solids get accumulated on the stage there's paint they're covered in paint and then mm-hmm. towards the end I'm not quite sure how to describe it, but there's a lot of paper on stage, too. And plastic, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's something that she would utilize in a lot of her performances, which is, like, just grease and paint and plastic, just tactile things. Now, this may sound gross to you, uh, but for her, it was this idea of just loving the human body, loving uh, loving sensuality. That was the word she would use. I have a quote from her from 1996 and and she was talking about how she wanted to liberate sensuality from pornography and she says the old patriarchal morality of proper behavior and improper behavior had no threshold for the pleasures of physical contact that were not explicitly about sex but related to something more ancient the worship of nature worship of the body a pleasure in sensuousness um and i know that when this piece was performed in paris uh, at least one guy jumped up from the audience and got so angry that he like went on stage and started like strangling her. really yeah <laughs> wow i like it just makes you wonder these kind of reactions that people had to this yeah. being confronted with things that are in and of themselves doesn't hurt anybody yeah like but they're perceived as just offensive i mean meet joy and interior scroll sound like the things that you say when you're trying to make fun of art and mm-hmm. performance art but it's also like holy shit art yeah like you you, you can't believe that this is something that somebody would do yeah. on stage and the fact that if you get angry when you hear about it or if you get disgusted yeah. like you've got to do something with that feeling <laughs> I, it's <laughs> so like unfathomable to me that somebody would do that that that's the reaction that they would have yeah and you know she was not particularly popular for uh, a lot of her life. Well, she, she said that she the... wasn't popular or wasn't considered in the kind of curriculum of feminist artists till 1997. Interesting. And, you know, Stan Brackage was somebody who, uh, again, showed himself having sex on screen and he showed his wife giving birth. Um, Everybody's like, oh, Stan Brackage, he's so brave. Yeah. yeah, but when it's a woman doing it and a woman uh, really putting it out there, it's different. Well, like, she talked about pornography and the idea that pornography was out there. Everybody was watching it, but that's under the male gaze. Yes. Like it's all men that are doing that or women that are usually under the thumb of men mm-hmm. uh, behind the scenes. And for her to try to take control to show it and it be thrown away from male critics who are in charge and also some of the feminist critics as well, mm-hmm. because she was viewed as exploiting her own body for the sake of art. Mm-hmm. Now, by the end of her life, I'd say that she was pretty much reclaimed. Mm-hmm. There was enormous outpouring when she died a couple of weeks ago, even from the mainstream press. 
her films are actually kind of hard to find and fuses and as well as all the other films that sort of document her creative practice they exist online not in very good condition it would be nice if they could be released in a proper blu-ray i feel like she probably owned the rights to all that stuff and Mm. if you go to her website you can find ways to get access to it but stuff like fuses is on vimeo Mm. uh in all of its uncut glory because it could not exist on anywhere like youtube Mm. and she continued to work throughout most of her life um she one of her projects was infinity kisses which was 140 photos of of her kissing her cat. Yeah, I watched that one. That was from 2009. You know, it's exactly what I just said it is. Yeah, <laughs> it's not my favorite of her work. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, she also did in 2001, did you ever hear about this installation she did called Terminal Velocity, mm-hmm. which was a bunch of photos of the people jumping out of the towers at 9-11 and it was just them blown up. So it was just the person and not what was going on around them to make them individual as opposed to like being part of this whole disaster. And she did that in December 2001. That's interesting. I have not formed an opinion on that yet. Yes, uh, the, the line between exploitation and actually respecting the people that yeah. died in this tragedy. Because it's not like they can consent to no. showing their bodies plummeting mm-hmm. to the ground. And as we also mentioned, that while it took a long time, like in the 90s, for her to be recognized, there's actually a lot of books I could find about her, and she was very open about like talking and being interviewed. It's interesting that she says that like there was no feedback to anything that was going on. Like she wasn't really criticized in like journals or anything like that. She wasn't really making money. And so essentially any letters or phone calls was the only reaction she got to some of her work. Mm -hmm. But um, you know, it's good to hear that she did have like a last few decades where she was being recognized and she was being put in the historical place that she deserved to be. Do we have any letters? Yep. Our first letter is from Elias Brander. And as per usual, you can send us letters at importantcinemaclubpodcast at gmail.com. This letter is pretty long, but there is a good question in it. it, So I'm going to jump to that part. And it goes, do you enjoy reading about culture that you actually have no intention of engaging in? I read game reviews, but barely play any games myself. Sort of the way I enjoy your podcast. Do you do that, Will? Like, do you like to look at, like, crazy right-wing film critics and read what they have to say? I absolutely like to (laughs) read crazy right-wing film critics. Or even, like, movies that you have no intention of watching. You read reviews about those things. Oh, well, certainly. I mean, it's got to the point where I have a pretty strong stomach, so I can pretty much take anything. But Mm -hmm. that wasn't always the case. And, you know, when I was growing up, it would be so fascinating to read about, like... The guinea pig series. The guinea pig series, cannibal holocaust, mm. um, you know, uh, kind of kind of extreme pornography. Mm-hmm. You know, the stuff like that always always kind of fascinated me. And like or even I remember by the time I finally saw Pink Flamingos when I was in grade twelve, it was a little anticlimactic because it was like, God, I know everything that, that <laughs> yeah. I know all the offenses. Yeah. And it was probably even bigger in your mind yeah. than the way that it's portrayed on screen. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know. I, it's fascinating to me to read about stuff like really transgressive stuff like, I don't know, uh, atrocity footage or kind of Mondo type shit. I'm much more inclined to want to read about that than I am to want to actually sit down and watch it. Um, I was trying to think, is there any like criticism or you know, articles about things that I don't consume, especially movie-wise that I read. And not really, like, if I'm interested in it, I probably want to watch it. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'll read it and go, oh, okay, that's not really my thing. But most of the time, if I'm reading something, it's just to either, like, influence me to go and 
experience that thing or I want a different perspective on it. You see, I think there's a bit of a difference between you and me here because clearly I have in my head defined and been fascinated by Forbidden Fruit. Yeah, you have. Not me. Not you. No. Uh, It must be my Catholic upbringing. I mean, I was also brought up Catholic. uh, Prayers every night. (laughs) And I have to say one good thing that I did, I would have to tell my mom every night, never think of anything. She's like, you open a door for someone, anything like that. I'm like, I can't think of anything. Well, you know, when you're a child, uh, what power do you have to do good things? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Nothing. I, I should have just taken down, like, said hello to a friend and just used that every night. But I was a child. I couldn't think of that. You know, I felt this way about going to confession because, mm. you know, you would have to do a confession and it was like, I haven't sinned. I'm Did a you child. have to do confession often? Not regularly. Yeah, but, it was you know, a special thing for us that you'd yeah. have to go and like do confession. So, you know, it'd be like, okay, I used the Lord's name in vain once mm-hmm. or I lied or, you know. I, I didn't do anything bad. I, I, I'm perfect. I killed a homeless drifter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just to see him die. Yeah. Uh, I guess maybe I read game reviews and I don't play games. Yeah. But like, if I'm going to read something about something that I'm not going to consume myself, I want it to be insightful in some way, not just like an ex explanation of that thing Mm -hmm. because otherwise why am i reading it (laughs) because i might as well just go experience it for myself but you know i'm the same way that you are when it comes to television where you're like i don't have like 20 hours to watch something i'm like i don't have 200 hours to play a video game i know yeah and because i don't take any personal joy in like beating stuff like some people i know do Mm -hmm. like oh my god like i need to beat this i need to get all the bonuses when i would play video games i just want to get to the end Mm -hmm. so now that i think about it it's mostly like watching a movie or reading a book where it's just like from beginning to end and then I just put the game away and I would never touch it Mm -hmm. because there's no, I don't know, there's no victory or who cares if you beat a game? Nobody. It's all about the journey. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Beating a game is actually always very melancholy. (laughs) Are you sad because you don't have anything left to play? Yeah, yeah. All your friends are going off into the distance. Mario, Luigi, they're all... That's probably the last game you played and completed. (laughs) Exactly, so I know. Uh, well, thank you very much for the letter, Elias. And as per usual, you can send us other letters at importantcinemaclubpodcast at gmail.com. On the Patreon this week, we're discussing the man himself, Mr. Stanley Kubrick with The Shining. Perhaps mm. you've heard of him or his film. Yep, we're taking the straight down the middle path when it comes to Patreon episodes. Not always. You know, sometimes. Sometimes, because we want you to be like, oh man, I need to hear what they have to say oh, about do, The Shining. Do they like The Shining? Yeah. <laughs> do they? Yeah. Oh, we may have a controversial opinion and i have my own little pet theory of what the movie's really about the moon landing right (laughs) (laughs) perhaps it's minotaur related you know what you know what i want to do on a patreon soon is that movie snuff by the finleys oh yeah that's right uh i've never actually seen it because why would i (laughs) exactly so it's like i've always kind of wanted to see it i feel like we probably said everything we have to say about snuff on the roberta finley episode without even having seen it (laughs) because i've seen the end footage right yeah Yeah, me too i saw it in the video nasty documentary that's right and other than that it's just another roberta finley michael finley this Uh, is what we're talking about right now is is probably uh meaningless to all i love said up like, oh, we're going to talk about stuff people know The Shining, and then we d- a deep dive into the filmography of Roberta <laughs> Finley. Check out that episode if you haven't. It's a great episode of The Important Cinema Club. So, listen, uh, rate and review on iTunes. Yes, please. Um, not enough rating and reviewing going on. It's our fault. We forget to remind you. It really takes like someone like battering into the head of a listener to actually go and do it. I've, I've rated and reviewed shows on iTunes only because a podcast has told me to do it like a hundred times. <laughs> and I'm like, you know what? I do enjoy the show that I listen to almost every day. For I free. Should, yeah, I should go and do it. <laughs> yeah, so guys, I hope you feel a bit guilty. And if you feel especially guilty or you want some sweet entertainment, become a Patreon subscriber for 
for $5 a month, patreon.com slash The Important Cinema Club. And make sure to check us out on YouTube, which it'll be up by the time you hear this. Uh, we did our top five Edgar G. Elmer films. The <laughs> world is so hungry for it. Like, what are the Edgar G. Elmer films that I should uh, check out? So make sure to go see that on YouTube. Just search The Important Cinema Club. Folks, the plugs aren't over. So many plugs. Oh <laughs> so my many God. plugs, yeah. But the plugs... Casper mattresses. <laughs> Plugs aren't over because next week on the podcast, we will be discussing old-timey cereals. Uh, that's not a plug. That's just a uh, coming soon taste. Will we return on the next episode of the Important Cinema Club and talk about a subject? Yes. What if we leave it as a cliffhanger, what we're going to talk about? We just said the cereals. <laughs> but but which specific cereals? Oh, yeah. You won't know until you check it out. Is there anybody listening out there who's like, oh, I hope they talk about my favorite cereal? Yeah, you're right. It's stupid. <laughs> we're going to talk about The Adventures of Captain Marvel. Mm-hmm. And Les Vampires. Les Vampires. That was a nice uh, um, attempt at saying Les Vampires. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, Louis Feriad's classic uh, French serial and William Whitney, a favorite of me and Will's, mm-hmm. kind of defining superhero serial, uh, The Adventures of Captain Marvel. So that'll be what we'll be doing next week. And until then, my name is Justin Clue. I'm Will Sloan. Thanks for listening. So this week, we were supposed to do an episode of the Important Cinema Club Super Show. And as we had done in the past, we we're going to pick two new movies we we're going to talk about. I think we were going to talk about Climax. And you suggested, ah, you know what, I'll go see Captain Marvel. And I foolishly didn't jump in and go, no, Will, don't do it. <laughs> You're not going to like it. Well, I hadn't seen it at this point, I don't think. Right. Well, I just suggested Captain Marvel because it's, it, popular. it's the biggest movie right now. So why not? And look, I like to think I have an open mind. <laughs> There are Marvel movies that I've liked. Thor Ragnarok, I assume? No, not so much that one. Really? Shocking. I thought Spider-Man Homecoming was okay. I thought Iron Man 3 was pretty good. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I don't know. And then I saw... I guess Into the Spider-Verse doesn't count. On Letterboxd, Will was like one and a half stars, Captain Marvel. When I gave that one and a half star review, which by the way is a completely honest review. Yep, that completely honest. A total reflection of what I was feeling. Mm -hmm. I knew... Just as I was about that to put Justin my thumb on like... it, that Justin would see that and he would groan. I could hear your groan <laughs> from a mile away. But I did the responsible thing and I went, let's not talk about it right. <laughs> on camera. Because you know what I'm going to say. I know what you're going to say. Why would you like consume something like, I don't know, asparagus? If you're like, ugh, I don't like asparagus. Like, right. you know you're not going to like it. And it's just something that doesn't connect with you. It's not like Captain Marvel is asparagus where it kind of hits you on where it's sort of irrational why you like it or not i feel like i could give an argument for why i think captain marvel is not a good movie and why i think there should not be other movies like it i think that's ridiculous but because <laughs> uh, when i read that one and a half the, my reaction was like i can like objectively explain why it deserves a better rating than this what was there to like in it well, there's lots of stuff to like in it. I, I don't want to get into this okay. argument. And I know people can be like, like this is like an argument. You know what I liked about it? I liked the Samuel Jackson de-aging on yeah. Samuel L. Jackson. It's fu- like, I'll, you want me to parrot the review that I said? It's like the fourth <laughs> book of a convoluted sci-fi novel. I agree. And in a, in a ripoff of a Shane Black film uh, for a little bit. And then, uh, what was the last thing I said? I forget. Uh, oh, and the just kind of generic Marvel climax where like a bunch of action happens. Boy, couldn't agree more. We are are entirely on the same page about this movie. But I can enjoy that. And 
I can under the thing about like these Marvel movies is they're made by an evil organization yes. that has a monopoly on everything. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that people I feel like can't enjoy what they're doing because as something that's like morally repugnant, I feel like the people making these movies enjoy making them. Uh-huh. I can't believe I'm arguing this. Fuck, we gotta get off uh, Captain Marvel because it's it's bothering me and it's bothering us and it's causing a rift. <laughs> Let's talk about the new Jackie Chan movie, which we watched the first 25 minutes of. Ugh, bad. <laughs> it's called Night of Shadows Between Yin and Yang. Mm-hmm. And, well, I mean... <laughs> what What's there to like in that? <laughs> yeah. uh, Jackie sings a song. Yeah, I think I would also give that one and a half stars. <laughs> yeah. If I watched the rest of it. Yeah. I might give it two. There was a... <laughs> but I think that's something like those Marvel movies. They're too popular, though. Like, that, that doesn't that affect when you watch them? It does affect. and But that's because art doesn't exist in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. Like, our response to art, society's response to art, in some way shapes the art itself. Yeah. But I can see that this is uh, bringing us down and making us sad. <laughs> it's not making me sad. Because, like, I enjoy a lot of these movies... And I actually made a decision that I go see them by myself. Mm-hmm. And like I don't see them with anybody else. Because I know that a lot of the people in my circle, they don't like those movies. Mm-hmm. So like, why would I bring them along with me? You know, I'll also say that hating Marvel movies is not cool. It's the easiest thing you can do. Yeah. But when people say it, it feels like they're like looking down at the little people. And that like rubs me the wrong way too. Oh, it's a class thing. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's not a No. Because uh, it's like saying, if I say I hate McDonald's, then do I hate, <laughs> do I hate the, all the good people who can't afford other food? <laughs> yeah. I mean, McDonald's is also an evil corporation yeah. that is poisoning the world. Haven't you seen Super Size Me? Yeah, I probably like McDonald's a bit more than I like Marvel <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, I mean, again, I'm glad you liked it. I don't begrudge people enjoying movies. No, I don't begrudge them either, even though they're destroying cinema and what it could be, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I wish people. No, you know, I was gonna say I wish people liked the movies I like, but then, but then I it wouldn't be cool. I anymore. won't be special. 